0: Well, as you know, throughout history, um, there have been many, many wars fought. And even you may not know that right now in 2021, there are many countries around the world who are at this very moment at war. If you take a country, just one example, like Afghanistan. Afghanistan has been at war on and off since 1978, They've had basically continuous war since then, and obviously there's already been wars in that country prior to that. Some wars in, you know, that you see are between countries. Other wars are between ethnic groups. Sometimes countries experience civil wars where one part of the country is at war with another part of the country. Most wars are fought to gain freedom from oppression, There's someone who feels that there's a hostility, either a country is imposing or within the country or an ethnic group or it could be all kinds of different reasons. But wars are fought for the purpose of freedom from oppression. The goal behind every war is to gain victory over the enemy. And one side decides who the enemy is and the other side decides who the enemy is and therefore they go to war ...with one another to gain victory over their perceived enemy. Wars have cost the lives of millions. We might even argue the lives of billions of people throughout history. Wars have cost trillions and trillions of dollars in damage. Wars have an impact that is lasting. The trauma of war, the victors come home often deeply traumatized by what they had to do in order to win, and that carries with them often for their whole lives. Billions of people around the world have experienced this trauma and this difficulty. And so even with the expense of war, even with the cost of war, even with the pain that war has caused... One thing is always certain, that it doesn't take much for war to happen again. That even in the midst of all of the things that have been done to gain victory, it sometimes seems like it just takes the slightest spark, the smallest action, the the smallest detail to bring a country back into war. Sorry, that's my OCD. I have to have things lined up. So here's what I want you to see. You might be wondering, why talk about war like that? Because I want you to see about another victory that is different. That even here on this earth, when, when a victory happens, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a lasting victory. Like I said, sometimes all it takes is for one small action and, and all that blood and all that horror and all those horrible things that were done are washed away as if they never happened, and the country is at war all over again. But the victory that we want to talk about today is not like that. In my notes, I wrote, not so with Jesus. I want you to understand today that there's a victory that has been fought for you. There's a victory that has been won for you. There's a victory that was brutal. It was ugly. It cost someone everything. But the beauty of this victory is that there is no small little spark that can start it all over. That is a victory that is final. That is a victory that is finished. That is a victory that will never need to be fought again. And it was fought for you. And you are the recipient of the outcome of that victory. When Jesus went to the cross, as we looked at last week, when Jesus went to the cross, he took with him, all of the sins of this world. And it was nailed to the cross. And he died. The Son of God died. He was buried. He remained in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, he rose victorious. And when Jesus rose, all of our sins had been atoned for, had been, had been forgiven. The victory is now ours. And we, can have this incredible opportunity to live within that victory. In Mark chapter 2, we read of this incredible story that happened in Capernaum. And in this story, you see these men, these people, we don't know if they're just men, but we see these people who bring their friend, and they have one goal and one goal only. And the goal is to bring this paralyzed friend before Jesus. Because these friends realize that the only thing they need is to have their friend in the presence of Jesus. And if they can bring this friend into the presence of Jesus, then what they need will be taken care of. But what these friends don't understand is that Jesus will do far more than what they were hoping for. Their focus focus was on the man's physical healing. But Jesus did much more. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in, in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached a word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. We love these stories. We love this story in particular. These men, hoping for Jesus just to heal the man physically because in those days there were no social services that helped when you could not provide for yourself. And then Jesus does so much more. He heals the man's heart. He reestablishes this man's relationship with God by forgiving his sins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says... For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So what we're doing today is we're continuing in our series, Jesus. And we're looking at this series, and and what we want to do in this series is we want to look at All of the things, or even just some of the things, we don't have time to look at all of them. We want to look at the things that Jesus has done for us. So we started by looking at Jesus died for us, Jesus lives for us, and today we want to talk about Jesus forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. This is such an important thing for us to understand because that was the ministry that Jesus came to do. So let's look at what does it mean for Jesus to forgive sin. Now by doing this, we could look at some of these big theological terms You know, we could talk about justification, we could talk about sanctification, we could talk about atonement and redemption, and and there'd be a number of other big words, theological words that we can look at, And, and sometimes it's difficult to understand what those big words mean, so I'm hoping that today I can somehow maybe use other words that will help us to understand what does it mean when we say that Jesus forgives sin? What does that mean for us? So here's a big word that you may want to know, and that's soteriology. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. And this is an incredibly important doctrine. This is key in Scripture. Soteriology is all throughout Scripture. According to the broadest meaning as used in Scripture, the term salvation encompasses the total work of God, by which He seeks to rescue us, from the ruins, the doom, and the power of sin. And then He bestows upon us His grace that encompasses all of eternal life. That in Him, we are not only forgiven, we are not only set free. Soteriology is not only the freedom from our sins, the the, being rescued from our bondage, as we'll look at a little bit, but it's also bestowing upon us what is to come, eternal life in Christ. It's a provision of an abundant life, both in the now and in the future. So when we say that Jesus forgives our sins, what do we mean by that? What what do you understand? And I wish right now, if time wasn't always the enemy, we could just hand this mic around the room and we could have those of you watching online send in a text and say, this is what I believe it means to be forgiven of my sins. And so let's look at four really quickly. And I hope that As you listen to these, that these encourage you. I'm going to use a lot of scriptures, so get your Bibles ready. We're going to race around quite a bit. And so the first one that we want to look at is when we talk about Jesus forgiving our sins, that what that means is that he has rescued us. Jesus rescued us. Jesus rescued us from the authority of darkness. We may say that Jesus delivered us, and that would be another way of saying that he rescued us, that Jesus delivered us. The word delivered is used multiple times in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he actually taught them. One of the things to say was, deliver us from evil. Rescue us from evil. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, it says this, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous from punishment on the day of judgment. So here we see that even God will rescue us from the trials that we're in, from the temptations that we would seek. He rescue us, meaning that he draws us to himself. You may want to use the visual of a lifeguard going out, swimming out towards somebody and what they have to do in order to rescue the person, they have to draw the person to themselves so that they can take them and rescue them. They can't simply stay over here and let the person drown over there. They have to go to that person, they have to draw that person to themselves and they have to bring that person to a safe place. That is what it means when we talk about Jesus forgiving our sins. He rescued us. He took us and he brought us to a safe place. So let's go back to the very, very basics then. What did we need to be rescued from? That may seem too basic for some of you, but I think it's important for us to realize that he didn't want to rescue us from ourselves only. There is an enemy out there. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says this for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil of evil in the heavenly realms The apostle Peter gives this evil a name First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 it says be alert and of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Proverbs chapter 5 verse 22 The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them, the cords of their sins, hold them fast. John 8, 34, Jesus replied, Truly, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So the thing we needed to be rescued from is sin. And Satan would love to do nothing more than to trap us with sin to ensnare us, to hold us captive, to prowl around, seeking how he can use sin to destroy us. Sin enslaves people. Jesus came to rescue us from this form of slavery. Similar to someone breaking free from slavery and knocking the shackles off their feet and breaking free with the shackles that are on their arms, Jesus came to break the shackles of sin from your life, he has come. He came to rescue you from sin. The second thing that we could say that being um, forgiven means is to be re-est- he reestablished us. What this means is that he moved us from one place to another, in, one, in a way that you could say is that God transplanted you. He moved you from sinking sand to solid ground. He took us out of the authority of sin. He took us away from that place and He put us in His kingdom. He placed us where we were intended to be. You see, we were never created to be in bondage of sin. We were never created. God did not design you and I to be hostage to sin. He designed us to glorify Him, to live freely according to His will. We were created to live According to who Jesus, who God wanted us to be, to worship and to glorify God. So here's a big theological term that I need to use because it captures it. The theological term for this is sanctification. Sanctification. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. The state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or that thing aside for what its intended purpose was. So for example, we would say a pen is sanctified when it is used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when they are used to improve sight. So in the theological terms, these You know, we are sanctified when we are used for God's purpose. When we are where God wanted us to be and God never wanted us to be captive to sin. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to the design and purpose of God. Jesus didn't rescue you then to just leave you. Jesus didn't rescue you just so that you could now fend for yourself and that you could try to somehow make it without having the tools and the resources. He sanctified you. He placed you where you needed to be so that you could live your life according to the purpose that he has. And he has a purpose for every single life. A way of visualizing that would be to say that Jesus didn't just stop you from drowning and then leave you out in the middle of the water. He brought you to where you should be, where it's safe. So when we read in Scripture that Jesus forgives our sins, we must understand that we then need to live in that freedom. We have been moved from death to life, and so we need to live accordingly. We need to recognize that we are no longer drowning. We are now set free. We have been reestablished. We have been placed where we should be, and so therefore we must live now according to what God's purpose for our lives is. See, the difficulty with trauma... The difficulty with pain, and you read this when you study people who have experienced significant trauma, is that sometimes they find themselves staying where they're at. Even when there's resources, and even when their you know, current situation isn't what their past situation was, a person who's experienced a lot of trauma will stay there because they don't know anything else. And so they stay in this place of trauma, even though they have the resources for them to move beyond it. And so we need to be careful that as Christians, because sadly, many times as Christians, we have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, but we continue to live as if we have not. And this is where you hear people who are believers, who have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, but they will say things, I'm just so scared that one day I'm just going to do something that God will be mad about. I'm scared of making God angry. I'm scared of wronging Him. And they live in this state of fear. And they do not live as if though they have been reestablished. As if though they have been placed now where God wants them to be. And if you're here today and you struggle with this, listen to what the Psalms says about this. Psalm 103, verses 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. First John one nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When you accept Jesus into your hearts, your sins are forgiven. You are rescued, you are reestablished, you are placed where God wants you. Third, He redeems us. To redeem means to buy back. When Adam and Eve sinned, they believed that disobeying God would give them more freedom. It would give them more knowledge. They they truly believed that now they would be able to live as they would not have been able to otherwise. But instead, they became slaves to sin. God had created us to be free, but our disobedience caused us to become enslaved to sin. Jesus died then to buy us back. ...from the captivity that we now find ourselves in. In a sense, when Adam and Eve sl- um, sinned... ...and when we sinned, we sold ourselves almost... In a, ...in a way of saying, into slavery. And so Jesus comes by and he has bought us back. He has redeemed us. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things... ...such as silver or gold... ...that you were redeemed from the empty way of life... ...handed down to you from your ancestors... But with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. During the time of the New Testament, slavery was rampant. Slavery was very common. As a matter of fact, many of the New Testament letters that were written were written to churches. And people in those churches would have been slaves themselves in that time. And so they understood very well this concept of being bought and sold and being redeemed and being bought back. So they understood this. And the truth is, for us here today, that's a difficult concept for us to understand. None of us in this room, and probably none of us watching online, there's maybe someone, if you're watching this from somewhere, where slavery is, you know, still going. But none of us in this place really understand what it is like to be the property of another human being. To be owned by someone else. And to have our daily lives guided by the will of others to do whatever they want. None of us really understand that. But these early churches would have understood this really, really well. So sometimes we struggle to understand what redemption means. What it means to be bought back. Because we ourselves have never found ourselves captive in that sense. But we need to understand that even though maybe physically we don't know what it feels like and looks like. But spiritually... I think many of us here today would say, oh, I know what it's like to be in bondage to sin. And so we need to recognize that Jesus has bought us back. He's redeemed us. Brooker T. Washington, a famous black educator and former slave, recounts how he came to understand that he was free. He was around nine years old. Listen to how he wrote this. The most distinct thing that I now recall is connection with the scene was the was that some men who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and then read a rather long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation, I think. After the reading, we were told that we were all free and that we could go and go when and where we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children. While tears of joy ran down her face, she explained to us. What it all meant, that this was the day for which she had been so long praying, but fearing that, would never, that she would never live to see. For some minute there was great rejoicing and thanksgiving and, a, and wild scenes of ecstasy. Now, unfortunately, history tells us that people like Booker Washington and many others after they experienced their freedom, it wasn't quite as easy and straightforward as that. Many of them, even though they were free, didn't have any resources to make it on their own, and so they stayed on the plantations because it was the only way that they could stay alive. But still, imagine for a moment that day when you are set free. You no longer are the property of another human being. What a time of celebration that would be. Luke chapter 15 verse 10, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, the angels in heaven and God himself recognizes that you and I are slaves to sin. And when we give our lives to Jesus, it's a scene in heaven as would be described here and anywhere else. When a slave is set free, when the notification comes and says, all these years you've been captive to this human being, you are no longer this person's property. You are set free. You are redeemed. Someone has bought you back. So if you've ever wondered what it means to say that Jesus forgives you sin, I want you to visualize that in heaven when you gave your life to Jesus, when you accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, that there was a party because they recognized that on that day you were redeemed, you were set free, you are no longer a slave to sin. So being forgiven means that we are rescued, that we are reestablished, that we are redeemed, And finally, number four, he released us. He released you and me. Your sins, my sins, have been erased. In a sense, they've been sent away, they've been abolished, they're gone. You and I have been released from the shame, from the guilt. That our sins, whether present or past, have held on us. Some of us still remember our sinful ways. And we remember, and we maybe carry that image with us, and we may carry that brand with us, and we may have a a name as a family or association of some sort that, that kind of wants to tell us that, oh, that's still who you are. And I want you to realize today that when you gave your life to Jesus, all of that has been released After you accepted Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, Jesus does not see your sins. He sees the forgiveness that you have accepted. He sees the forgiveness that he paid for so that you could be free, that you could be released from your sins. Jesus did this by paying the price that was required on the cross. He paid the price that was required so that he could release us. He took it upon himself. All of our sins, all of the history that comes with it, all of the baggage that comes with it was all nailed to the cross by Je- with Jesus. So that when he died, when he rose, all of that has been released and erased. Our sins have been accounted for. The judgments that we were under, Jesus took that upon himself. He took it all upon Himself. Not just some of it, all of it upon Himself. He erased all the charges against you and I, and He has set us free. You have been released. First Peter chapter 2, verses 16 then says, Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Live as free people. Peter wrote this to a church that was experiencing tremendous persecution during that time. They were experiencing amazing and difficult hardships. So for him to say at the end of this, honor the emperor, must have felt out of place. It must have felt wrong. Why would you include that in there? Why would you say, honor the emperor, the very individual, the very office that is causing so much of this pain? What Peter wanted us to see and what he wanted the church to see was that forgiveness covers every situation. That forgiveness isn't hindered by whatever situation you find yourself in. No matter what the situation that you are in, forgiveness has precedence over it. You are not. You do not need to be captive under the circumstances that you are in. Whatever you are wrestling with today, whatever sin you may have, whatever history you may have, whatever family, you know, reputation you may have, whatever it may be, the, sin, the, the forgiveness of Jesus over sin is enough. Even in a society, in a society like the one that he was writing to, where there was so much hostility towards Christians, Peter is saying to them, you are are to live as free people. So I pray that today you would embrace Jesus and that you would embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So if you've never given your life to Christ, and obviously this is a call for you to understand and recognize what is available to you. This is something that you can have. If you've never given your life and if you're here or online, I want to encourage you that today you would say, "And then I want to experience this forgiveness of sin. I want to experience being rescued and reestablished and to be redeemed and to be released. I want to experience those things. And so what you do is you surrender your life to Jesus. You invite Jesus to forgive your sins. But my guess is that I'm speaking to the majority of people who have already done this, who have already experienced this. So I want to challenge us with two applications. First, because of the forgiveness Jesus offers, I want you to recognize that I can live free from the power of sin. That I can live in the kingdom of God under his authority. And since he bought me, I am his to do as he wills. That may sound wrong, but it's so freeing because he he will call you to do what you were created to do. And fourth, I can live free from the penalty, from the guilt and the shame. So that's the first thing that we need to consider in application. Number two, because of the forgiveness Jesus has given, I can forgive others. And I can accept the forgiveness of others. See, sometimes as believers, we are willing to accept the forgiveness that God offers, but we struggle with forgiveness within ourselves. You may not be able to forgive yourself for the things that you've done, but you should. You may not be able to forgive another person for what they've done, but you should. What Jesus has done for you is what you can then do by living that out for other people, that you need to then make the decision that you will forgive others. No matter how much they've wronged you, that you will forgive others. And no matter how how much someone has wronged you, that you need to embrace the forgiveness that they are offering. And this is a painful thing for us to experience sometimes because forgiveness causes us to struggle with the past. It causes us to to remember the pain. and, And sometimes it causes us to release the only thing that we feel we still have over them. So because Jesus has forgiven us, we must forgive others and we must accept the forgiveness of others. But let's speak about current times. I know that currently there's a lot of hurt going around. My weeks have been spent going from home to home, meeting with people who find themselves struggling and in pain. And from their hurt, often they are causing hurt. And so we need to look at our current time right now. It may be a time right now where we need to forgive one another where we need to accept the forgiveness of others. In all honesty and vulnerability, I know I've hurt some of you. In this time where we struggle to know what is right or what is wrong or what to do and what not to do, that in the midst of this, I just, I'm calling out the elephant in the room, I know that we have hurt one another. I have been hurt by some of you and, and I have hurt some of you. And I know that very often this is not something that was done intentionally. So at this moment, we just need to recognize and embrace the forgiveness that we have from Jesus and we must offer it to one another. a so church, my prayer for you has been that first and foremost, you would embrace the forgiveness that Jesus has for you. That you would go from here in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of all the noise, there would be one thing clear to you, that is your sins have been forgiven by Jesus. And then we would go and live as free people. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this truth, and we sang about it today. And now just to be able to read in your word. And God, I pray that for all of us here today, that this truth of being forgiven, of being released and rescued and redeemed, and just this beautiful, beautiful truth of what we have in your word, by what you accomplish for us, Jesus, that we would now live that out to the full. May that be something that we do not let go of. And that when at times it feels like there's shifting everywhere and all kinds of things, that this would be an anchor for us to hold on to, that we have been forgiven and then I pray Lord in the midst of all of this as hurt abounds that there would be healing and forgiveness among us we pray these things in Jesus name amen thank you for joining us online and those of you that are here God bless you and have a great rest of the day